You're listening to This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. This episode is sponsored by Long Expected Jesus, an Advent devotional and lectionary-based resource for church communities. Long Expected Jesus invites the people of God to spend four weeks slowing down, waiting patiently, and praying expectantly in anticipation of the coming Savior. Contributors include some of the past guests from this podcast, Michael Palmer, Dr. Carla Sunberg, Deanna Hayden, and myself, Britt Bullerjack. Order Long Expected Jesus for your community at thefoundrypublishing.com. Today on the podcast, we have Reverend Dana Franchetti in Cactus, Texas. Thanks for all you do for young pastors, and thanks for tuning in. Jack, and I'm here with my guest, Dana Franchetti. She's the Children and Youth Program Director at Cactus Nazarene Ministry Center in Cactus, Texas. Welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. So the first question I ask everybody is, how did you end up at the Churches of Nazarene? Yeah, so I was not raised in the Church of the Nazarene. Um, I grew up, my whole family, my extended family is Roman Catholic. Oh, wow. And we um, attended church kind of off and on growing up. My dad was an over-the-road truck driver and my mom worked quite a bit. And so we were, we, we attended mass and, um, catechism and all of that kind of sporadically. Mm -hmm. And so growing up, um, when I wasn't going to church super consistently with my family, I would tag along with various friends that I had. Um, and so I've attended, I mean, every denomination under the sun, that might be an exaggeration, but (laughs) quite a few denominations. And when I was in high school, um, I can, we moved and I connected pretty quickly with a friend. Um, her name is Shannon and her family was attending the Nazarene church in town. Hmm. And over the course of the first probably year or so of our friendship, we, she it would invite me to church and I would go kind of sporadically, but she came to me one summer and she said, Hey, we're getting a new youth pastor. And it just seems like it might be a really good time for you to plug into the church. Mm. And so, you know, would you want to come with, um, we can go on Wednesday nights, we can go to Sunday school, whatever you want to do. And I was like, sure, I'll go. Mm. And so I, we started by going on Sunday mornings and at the church, there they would do um the teen sunday school happened at the same time as like the later service so her parents would go to service and then we would go to sunday school and when i started going pretty consistently it was just obvious to me that that church was full of people who just like genuinely cared Mm -hmm. about um the teenagers that were there and the people that were there and so very quickly, um, it got to the point where instead of her inviting me to, hey, come to this youth group event or that youth group event, I was like dragging her to everything (laughs) under the sun that was related to the church. And so we started going very consistently on Wednesday nights. And then her parents, bless them, would wake up super early and take us to first service so that we could be in the worship service and then go home and get ready for church and then come back and they would be in the second service while we were in Sunday school. Um, And so that's kind of how how I got connected. And over over time, um, the people there at that church, I'm very fond of my home church. Um, They just kind of loved on me and encouraged me and I think saw saw things in me that that I didn't see in myself and saw God working in ways that I didn't yet really have the vocabulary to articulate. Mm. And so just really encouraging me, um, sending me on my first work and witness trip and um, encouraging my leadership development and um, kind of just always being a support and a constant for me in high school when, you know, life was kind of weird and you know, high school. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I got connected through a friend and then just kind of got sucked in. I always tell people that I knew about Jesus before I went to the Nazarene church, but I feel like I really met Jesus at the church in, in Pekin that I went to. 
So it's beautiful. Gosh, I love that story. Um, so kind of tell me about your call to ministry. How does that factor into everything? (laughs) Yeah. So I, um, ever since I was really young, I've always had a heart for people and connecting with people, helping people. Um, and so growing up whenever, you know, whenever they asked you in school, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I like, I had every answer under the sun from like, Oh, I want to be a teacher to when I was in like fifth or sixth grade, I went through a phase where I wanted to be a psychiatrist and Mm. like, which is kind of bizarre for like a 10 year old, (laughs) but I just always, um, kind of had a heart for people. And so when I was in high school and I kind of started to feel called to ministry, I didn't really want that to be the case. I didn't really want to be called to ministry. Mm. I was very blessed with my home church, there were um, plenty of females on staff. And so it was never the sense of like, can't be in ministry. It was just kind of like, I don't like, I don't really want this. Like I saw the, um, I don't know, just the commitment to the church and um, had a lot of respect and love for, for the pastors at that church, but just kind of knew the, the commitment that that would be. And so I decided that I was going to go to Olivet for their social work program. And I justified it in my mind because I was like, well, I'll go to a Christian school and I'll be in a, like, I'll be in a helping profession. And it's basically the same thing, except it's obviously not. And so, um, one day I was with several of my friends and a couple of the pastors from the church. And we were talking about all of our plans after we graduated high school. And I had told them my grand plan of going to Olivet and, um, being a social worker. And somebody said, but I thought you wanted to go to Trevecca. I thought you liked Nashville. And I said, well, I do. But their program at the time, their social work program wasn't accredited. And so I didn't feel like I could Mm. go there. And one of the pastors, without skipping a beat, he said, he said, well, you'll end up at Trevecca. And I said, how can that be? And he said, because one of these days you're going to stop fighting the fact that you're called to ministry. (gasps) And at the time when he said that, I was like, really, I was like indignant. Like I was so angry. And I was like, how dare you like presume to know me? And then Mm -hmm. I was like, well, he is speaking truth. And so basically for me, when he, when he named that in my life, it was kind of like, like the first step is the scariest. And so he kind of like took that first step for me. Mm -hmm. And so a couple of months later when I came around and I was like, yeah, okay, I've been feeling this call and it's scary and I don't know what it looks like. So help me navigate it. Um, I was met with a lot of grace and love and also laughter because, because of our experience that we had with him kind of naming that for me. And so with him doing that, I think it kind of made it easier for me to, to say it out loud myself. Like I wasn't the first one saying it. And so I wasn't crazy for thinking that I was called to ministry and these people who I respected so much and who had been mentoring me for so long, um, were also kind of naming that in my life. And it was just kind of comforting and encouraging. So I ended up going to Trevecca and at Trevecca, um, at least when I was there, you're a religion major and then you pick a focus. Mm. And I remember sitting in some of those like freshman introductory classes and I had classmates that were saying like, I feel very called to children's ministry or I feel very called to missions or to youth ministry and feeling kind of at a loss because I, I could never really name exactly what I felt called to. Yeah. And so I felt like, well, maybe I guess I just need to like, just keep going and hope that God reveals this to me at some point. And so it really wasn't until my senior year at Trevecca that I felt like I had a really good grasp of, well, and even then I, I guess I didn't really feel like I had a good grasp, but I began to see, um, through various experiences, kind of what, what my gifting and what my calling was going to look like. And that Mm. started for me with a couple of internships that I had um, where I had the opportunity to serve in Eastern Europe um, once for about a month over the summer of my junior year or my sophomore year, and then three months the summer after my junior year. And just really began to see my heart for working with people across cultures um, and across yeah, across cultures. And then when I when I was back in school, my senior year in Nashville, I started teaching English um, locally and just really began to see kind of my heart for working with people who, um, I don't know, I guess pe- working alongside people who had been marginalized and trying to empower people 
And that looked for me like across across cultures, across socioeconomic um, statuses, across um, ethnicities and, and racial barriers, and really just kind of started to see myself as a bridge builder. Mm. And that really kind of solidified for me when I started taking preaching. Um, I put preaching off <laughs> until my senior year because <laughs> I was really nervous about it. Yeah. But I remember sitting in the first couple of weeks of class we were doing some kind of creative exercises to engage with various um, scripture texts. And Mike Jackson, who is a fantastic preacher and professor, he um, was having us do all these really like kind of outside the box creative things to start to approach scripture in some different ways. And I remember approaching him one day after class and just saying like, I I have this creative heart and I had no idea how much I would be able to use it in pastoral ministry. Mm. And his response to me was pastoral ministry, like at its heart is a creative act. Like you have Oof. to be able to think creatively if you're going to serve in ministry. So wow. this is, um, this is true for preaching, but this is true for, for all of the acts of ministry. And I think it just really kind of got me excited because I, I think I had felt like, this whole creative side of me just like couldn't be engaged if I was going to mm. be in ministry, which is crazy because I had seen other people be very creative in ministry, but I had never really made that connection with me. And so through through some of those preaching classes and the the practical classes, my heart for the local church and the amount of importance that I felt like the local church plays in the lives of believers and in their communities just continued to grow. And so I had kind of these two huge passions, right? So um, serving and working with people who had been kind of pushed towards the margins of society and also the local church Mm. and liturgy and preaching and what it looks like to live as the body of Christ. And so my my call really kind of began to take shape as I started to dream about and imagine what does it look like for us to continue to build bridges. And so I've never come to a place where it's like, oh, I feel absolutely called to children's ministry or I feel absolutely called to, you know, even being a senior pastor. But what I always tell people is I tend to feel called to people and places. And if there's a place for me to serve in a way that I can build bridges between the local church and the communities that the churches are in, um, then that's kind of where I think I live out my calling in the most faithful way Mm. Um, because the reality is our communities are changing so fast. And a lot of times we don't know how to continue to, to connect with those changing communities. And so I, I guess I just see myself and in my current ministry position, I get to do this quite a lot where helping people imagine what does it look like to think a little bit outside the box to connect with people who maybe have felt ignored by the church for a long time or who have no frame of reference for the church and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of how my call, that's kind of how my call happened and then how it's progressed over the years. Mm. That's great. Um, can you kind of keep that story going? How did you end up from Treveca then to, to Cactus where you are now? Kind of tell us all those bits and pieces. Sure. So after I graduated, um, while I had this idea of what I felt called to do in ministry, I didn't, I hadn't, I mean, it's not really like a position that you apply for. Like, I wish that I could just send my resume out and say, I want to be a bridge builder, but that's not a thing in the church. And so after I graduated, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to pursue a master's degree or if I wanted to send my resume out. And so I took some time. I stayed in Nashville for about a year and a half and I was teaching preschool um, to pay the bills. And I was very, very part-time at a church helping with their preschool ministries Mm. and um, just kind of praying and, and figuring out life out outside of college and trying to, to navigate that. Um, and one day, one morning, it was really early. It was like seven 30 in the morning and I was at work at the preschool and Kathy Mori, who is the, um, who's a professor at Trebekah mm-hmm. and she's one of my mentors. She called me and she said, Hey, there's a social justice conference happening at Trebekah this weekend. You should come. I want to introduce you to some people. 
And I said, sure, I'll be there. I had already been planning on attending. And she said, there's a DS who wants to talk to you about pastoring. And I said, okay, absolutely. Like, let's do this. Yeah. And so um, that weekend I went to Trevecca. I spent time at the conference and Kathy introduced me to Chuck and Carla Sundberg, oh, wow. who at the time were the DSs in Northeast Ohio. Mm-hmm. And I started talking to them about um, a church that they had open that was looking for a pastor in Canton, Ohio. And they asked me if I would be interested in, in pursuing that. And so, um, I was, and they were wonderful walking me through the interview process. And, um, I ended up going and serving there for about a year and a half. And Mm. I, I loved that congregation. They were very, very hospitable, very gracious to a new pastor. We were in a community that was um, it was really interesting. We were kind of situated on a on a pretty busy street, mm-hmm. but then the next block over there was some Section Eight housing, and the community was just changing really quickly. Yeah, and so um, we had wonderful opportunities to talk about um, what it looks like to remain faithful there, and um, kind of how the church saw themselves living their lives in that community. And it was, it was just a wonderful learning experience for me Mm. to serve there. Um, but I didn't have, I didn't have much of a support system in Ohio and I was, um, kind of wrestling with again, the sense of calling and what does it look like for me to live this out in the church? And so I heard about Cactus Nazarene Ministry Center um, about a year after I got to Ohio Mm. and started doing some research, started talking to some people about what was going on in Cactus. And basically, um, I heard about Cactus from the Nazarene Job Board, and I was reading about it, and the description said something like, Cactus is a small town in the Texas panhandle that is made of a made up of about 4000 people um but it's incredibly diverse so there's over 20 different ethnicities represented in this small town wow. primarily refugees and immigrants and the ministry center is looking for somebody to come and start um some children and youth ministries here um as an extension of the compassionate ministry center wow and so i began talking with uh the directors at the time about you know, their philosophy of ministry and kind of what the vision was for Cactus. Mm -hmm. And essentially, they said that their heart and their passion was that through this Compassionate Ministry Center that would offer, you know, um, services like English classes and a soccer program and uh, an after-school program and, and several other kind of extensions into the community that through these um, our neighbors would come to know the grace and love of Jesus and become connected to the church in that way. And so I was very kind of fired up and very excited about this and, and loved the mission of the ministry center and, um, was just really excited for the possibilities. But I had told myself when I started considering making a transition that I probably wouldn't even look at places in Texas. And I don't know why that was other than Texas just felt very far away at the time. Mm. So I was really nervous about this idea of moving to Texas. And also the description that they gave of cactus was just really hard for me to visualize. Um, I, I love the city. I loved living in Nashville. Canton was right outside of Cleveland. And I loved that. Um, cactus is super rural out in the middle of nowhere. Mm. And, um, and so I just felt, I felt excited about the possibility, but I was also very nervous. So when I came down for my, um, for my interview, my prayer was basically like, God, I have got to be completely, like completely at peace about this decision before I'm going to move across the country to a super rural setting. Yeah. And Essentially, I got off the plane and um, we drove into town and it was like immediately I was at home here and um, spent about a week here just kind of looking around, getting to know people, learning about the different cultures that are here mm. and continuing to hear about their heart and, and soul for or their heart and passion for um, connecting with with people and um, trying to meet some very tangible needs 
in order to build relationships and help people see their place in the church and in the kingdom of God and and to help people who you know, in, in such a rural setting that is very under-resourced, it's easy to feel forgotten. Mm-hmm. And so just to help people remember, like, you're not forgotten. We are here as an extension of the church, as an extension of God to say, like, your life matters. And so how can we come alongside you and um, help you help you live a full life into the grace of God? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of how I ended up here in Cactus, which is where I'm at now. That's awesome. Um, kind of tell me about, tell me more about it. Tell me about the, the ministry center and what you do there. Yeah. So like I alluded to cactus is a very diverse place. Um, we, we estimate in our English programs, we typically have between 15 and 20 different languages, like, um, first languages spoken. And Mm. so, um, we have, a lot of people from various African countries. Um, we have a large Sudanese population, a Somalian population, people from Eritrea, um, the Congo. Recently, a lot of people from the Congo have moved in, um, as well as Southeast Asia. So we have a wow. large um, Burmese population. And within the Burmese population, there's several different um, kind of cultures within that. And then um, quite a few people from from Latin and South America. So um, a large Mexican population, Guatemalan, some Brazilians, some people from Chile. Um, And so it's just very, very diverse, kind of from all over the world. And essentially, um, when I got here, the directors had been spending their first bit of time here really trying to understand the community, yeah, build relationships with the community, get to know the cultures that were here, and kind of start to to hear what the community felt like their needs were. Because mm-hmm. um, it's fine for us to come in and say like, well, there's no grocery store, so we need to start community gardens. But if that's not a pressing issue to our neighbors, then there's really no sense in in starting that. Um, and so they they took some time and they learned that. Of the 4,000 people here, about a thousand, about a thousand people in town are under the age of 18, and wow. so they recognized very quickly kind of a need for this children's ministry to take place. And so my first summer here, I moved here in May, and that summer we um, we started a summer food program. Um, 96% of the kids in Cactus qualify for free and reduced lunch at school, Mm. which means that they receive free breakfast and free lunch. And so in the summertime, like that's a huge, that's a huge shift for people to make, um, from going from providing one meal a day to their children to now three meals a day. And so we, um, partnered with the state and offered, free lunches in the park and basically just turned it into a day camp. Anybody was welcome. We played games, we hung out and it was just a really fun time for me Mm. to get to know the kids, to get to know some of their parents and to start to understand the cultures in town. About halfway through the summer, um, we were kind of talking as a team here and it was, they said to me, you know, Dana, you're probably going to want to consider starting a soccer league. And I said, you know, I probably won't want to do that because I don't know anything about soccer. <laughs> um, but very quickly, I realized that when you have so many different cultures in a place, there's a lot of division that happens. And there's a lot of um, it's hard. It's hard for people to connect. It's hard for people to see what they have in common. Mm. But one of the things that many of these cultures do have in common is soccer. And so that fall, we started um we started our soccer league and we had a, we had a little over a hundred kids sign up. Oh wow. And the first couple of weeks it was a little bit rocky and you know, it's normal, right? Like it's normal for people to want to be around people who are like them, people they can talk to people who understand their worldview. But slowly over time, we started to watch people from across cultures start to engage with each other. And, Mm. you know, you might have a Burmese dad cheering for, um, you know, like a a Sudanese child on the soccer team. And suddenly, you know, uh, somebody who's speaking Spanish is coaching the team while maybe somebody who speaks English fluently is helping and translating and just watching 
how quickly um, people can come together around something that they love, something as simple as soccer. And I think through that experience, it, it just kind of helped me to see the ways that the church can engage with people and bring people together through shared passions and shared loves, even when there are language barriers, even when there's um, completely different worldviews, even when, you know, a third of cactus is Muslim. And so even when Mm -hmm. there's religious differences at play, the ways that we can connect and kind of help people come together and um, just be loved. And so from there, um, the, our English program blew up that fall. Um, we had around, I think between 150 and 200 people in our, in our English classes. And those are adult English classes Mm. where, um, people are coming and for any number of reasons, right? So, um, we have parents who are coming because they want to be able to communicate with their kids who are learning English in school and speak predominantly only English. And so they're coming to be able to connect with their kids or, Mm. Um, we have a student who is a doctor in Cuba, but he has to get certified here. And in order to do that, he needs to speak English. Um, people who want to get their GED or become a citizen, but you have to be able to speak English to do that. Or people who just want to be able to communicate effectively. And so um, that was English classes, I think, were kind of another way where you have people from three, four or five different cultures sitting in a classroom struggling through this very confusing, very difficult language together. And one more way to connect people to each other and to continue to build bridges. During during English, we also offer an after school program to our kids where if their parents are in the after school program, they can come. Most of the kids in town already speak English because they get that at school. And so helping with with homework or just providing some fun activities. Um, One of my favorite memories was uh, teaching the kids capture the flag. A lot of the kids that were coming had spent most of their child childhoods in refugee camps. And so Mm. they they hadn't played the same games that I played growing up. And so introducing them to some of those games has been really, really fun. Um, And then watching kind of from there, our community center just becoming a place, like a safe place for people. Um, For for a while, uh, some of our Muslim neighbors were hesitant to come and participate in what we were doing. But over time, the more that people got to know us and got to see us, the more the, the more people felt like this was a safe place for them. And I remember kind of when I realized that that was happening, um, all of us on staff here are bivocational. And so for a while, our staff meetings were in, in the evenings and sometimes they would end up being kind of late at night. And so one evening, it was after dark and um, a woman came to the door while we were meeting and there was a child with her. And the child was frantic and she said, we can't find um, this woman's daughter. We don't know where she's at. We can't we can't figure out where she is. Have you seen her? Can you help us find her? And luckily, she was just playing with a friend and we were able to track her down relatively quickly. But that was a person who I had been here for over a year at that point and she had never been willing to come to the building before. But she knew that we were a safe place. She knew that we were a resource and. Um, through that, the conversations that we've been able to have about faith and about grace and about love and joy has just been really, um, it's just been really encouraging and exciting. And I think that there's, I don't know, there's, there's not much more that I find. Like, I think one of the most beautiful things, one of my favorite aspects of living in cactus is the hospitality of my neighbors Mm. and their willingness to invite me into their homes and share a meal and talk about their stories as um, refugees or immigrants Mm. and getting to learn about their worldview and the journey that they've made in order to get here and also just their their willingness to to love me and accept me and I just feel like those are the moments when I don't know. It's like you can picture Jesus sitting there with us, sharing that meal with us and um, extending grace and love to me through them and hopefully to them through me as well. That's beautiful. Um, Maybe tell us about a couple of your favorite stories, favorite moments um, from Cactus, from your ministry there. Yeah, I can 
certainly do that. So um, one of <laughs> one of my favorite stories to tell happened a year ago. It was at the end of last summer. And <clears throat> it was a weekend. Um, on Saturday, I had spent most of the day outside in our gardens um, working on some things. And I've still, I was still kind of, it was my second summer here, but I don't know. I guess I just thought it's September. I don't need sunscreen. I'm not going to get sunburned. I've been outside all summer. It's fine. <laughs> well, I was wrong. I was outside all day and um, was just like bright red, like one of the worst sunburns I've had in a really long time. Oh. And so the next day um, <clears throat> I was not outside, but we had several kids here. We have a small playground. And so a lot of kids will come and play on the weekends and it was really hot outside. And so, um, the kids were outside playing and somebody had turned on a sprinkler for them to play in. And so I said, I went outside and I said, Hey guys, make sure that, make sure that you put sunscreen on cause you don't want to end up looking like me. <laughs> and they started laughing. They said, Oh, don't worry. So-and-so already gave us sunscreen and, and, and made sure that we were protected in that way. And I said, Oh, I I was being silly and I said, what, why would, why would he do that? Why would he, why would he make you put sunscreen on? And they kind of stopped and they thought, and they said, well, I think it's because he loves us and Aww. he cares about us and he doesn't want us to get sunburned, but he obviously doesn't love you because he did not tell you to put sunscreen on. <laughs> and they laughed and they got a good joke out of that. And then later they came to my door and they were asking for some water. And so we were, we were hanging out and one of the little girls, she said, Dana, she said, I don't understand what your job is. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, you know, we have teachers at school and we go to see doctors and my parents work at the meatpacking plant, but I don't really understand what your job is. And so I said, well, what do you think my job is? And so she started listing all of the things that I do. She said, well, you make sure that we have the soccer program and you make sure that our homework gets done in the after school program and you play with us a lot. And so maybe your job is just to love us. Aww. And I started laughing. I said, yeah, that's that's certainly part of it. And she got real quiet. And she said, but I think you do that because you love Jesus. Is that right? Oh. And I said, yeah, that's absolutely right. That is why I do it. And, and this little girl who was raised Muslim, um, is raised Muslim. She, she is a practicing Muslim who... Um, you know, hadn't had much interaction with the church before that. It was, I don't know, it was humbling that she was, she was able to point to that um, in my life. And that then led to a whole conversation about who I feel called to be and what calling is and grace and, and all of that. And so I think that's, that's one of my favorite stories that was very, um, I think, encouraging for me and just a really cool moment to, to be able to sit with those kids and talk about my faith and talk about why I live the life that I live yeah. and why I do what I do. Um, beyond that, I think, I don't know. I mean, we just, we've had some really cool experiences here. There was, there's a man in town who we met through our English classes who he, um, when he started coming to classes, he was Muslim. And through connecting with some of his classmates who attended one of our, our Nazarene congregations here, the African um, congregation here, he, he started attending church with some of his classmates and eventually um, gave his life to the Lord and, and converted to Christianity. And that was really cool. And we celebrated that. But the day that he got baptized, it was Mother's Day weekend, and at our facility here, we don't have a we don't have a baptismal font, so we share with a church in town. And so our whole staff, it was a Sunday afternoon, and our whole staff was walking over to that church, and we heard somebody yelling at us as we were walking, and we turned around, and it was it was this man who was going to get baptized, and he was just grinning from ear to ear, and he doesn't. He's been in our English classes, but he still um, he still struggles to to communicate in English. And so he came up and he explained to us that he had come to the building to meet with us to walk over together, mm. and we didn't realize that and had left without us or left without him. 
so we were walking and as we're walking, he's just got a giant grin on his face. He was so excited. At one point he was skipping. It was, it was very exciting. And so we get to the, we get to the church We're we're met with the congregate by the congregation that he, um, he worships with the African church of the Nazarene that's here. And I sat down and I looked over at him and he pulled out a Bible and I realized he was reading a Bible in Spanish, but this man, he's Somalian. And so Spanish is not his first language. And I didn't even realize he knew Spanish. And so we were kind of trying to talk to him about it. And we found out that he, he had been attending church on Sunday nights here at, at the congregation that meets here. But then throughout the week, he was going to the Catholic church in town, which is led in Spanish. And so he had picked up quite a bit of Spanish. And so it was easier for him to read the Bible in Spanish. And so we we were sitting in this church and the church that we use is actually a Burmese church. Um, and so people who are Burmese are from Myanmar. And so that's in Southeast Asia. So we're in this church that is... Um, used predominantly by people from Southeast Asia. We're sitting in a room full of men who are predominantly Sudanese about to baptize a a man who is Somalian who is reading his Bible in Spanish and we were doing everything in English. Uh. And it was just a very, it was a very funny moment to kind of take in the world that we live in here in Cactus. Mm. But then... Um, we go through the service, he's baptized and he comes out and he's, you know, we're all celebrating and we're cheering and um, there's dancing happening and it's this wonderful celebration. And he comes over and he puts his hand on my shoulders and he says, Dana, he said, we are family now. And it was just such a moving moment for me um, to, to recognize, we, we kind of questioned like, how much of what we're doing is getting lost in translation, how much Mm. um, understanding is happening. But there was just such a a sense that the Holy Spirit was at work and was, you know, I talk about wanting to be a a bridge builder, but it's not really about that. It's about being faithful to the movement of God and the movement of the Spirit. And I think that was one of the most clear moments that, that I saw that happening. That is beautiful. I love that so much. Maybe on the other side... What what are the hardest things about ministry in Cactus? What's what's the most difficult part of what you do? So um, we talk a lot here about incarnational ministry, and we're very intentional about, um, you know, all of us live here in Cactus and um, spend a lot of time out in the community. And that's beautiful, and I wouldn't have it any other way. But with that means that the lack of resourcing in Cactus, so Cactus is greatly under-resourced. There's no grocery stores in town. There's no medical facilities. Um, We're in a food desert. Um, And so living alongside my neighbors who are, um, I don't know, I guess just living with the consequences of of living in such a rural and under-resourced community, those those issues directly impact me as well. And so it's interesting um, the ways that, for example, being in a food desert means that I have to drive about 15 miles to get to the closest grocery store. And there my, um, my options are fairly limited. And so that's incredibly frustrating for me and very difficult for me. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, it's also like a great motivator in terms of um, looking at community development. So if so, basically, if the consequences are that frustrating for me when I have a reliable car mm-hmm. and I have an, a steady income and I speak English fluently and I understand the systems, then it becomes that much easier for me to um, empathize and un- like understand how difficult it must be for my neighbors who may not have a reliable car or may not speak English fluently yeah. and may need to drive an hour to go to the doctor and the challenges that that presents. It's, 
it's hard. And there are days when I'm just like, man, it'd be so much easier if I moved to the next town town over and had access to these grocery stores and had a doctor nearby and could set like very specific work hours. But instead, because because of the way that we live, it's kind of a motivator and it, it enables us to maybe see some of the ways that the church can be the church that we may not have thought of if we if we weren't living in this community. And so I think I'm kind of cheating in answering your question mm. because all of the things that that are difficult about living here are also what motivate me to continue to um, work towards community development and reconciliation in our community um, and trying to help people understand each other better. Um, beyond that, we work, um, you know, in ministry, you have like unusual hours and that's pretty, pretty normal. Yeah. Um, but we all live on the, this, the property that the ministry mm. center is on. And so sometimes it's difficult to, um, to have some me time. Yeah. We've had to be very intentional about setting some boundaries. And for me personally, just because all the all the kids know where I live. They know that I love them. They know that I am down to play or have snacks or whatever most of the time. Yeah. But um, just because there's people knocking on my door doesn't mean that I have to answer every single time. Um, sometimes I have to say no. And sometimes, sometimes that means, you know, j- literally just not answering the door. Sometimes that means... Um, trying to take a day and drive to Amarillo, which is the closest city and go see a movie or um, just find ways for self-care and to, to take care of myself and set some of those boundaries. It, it becomes really easy when you're passionate about what you're doing. And it's, it's a very, it's very life-giving in a lot of ways. It's really easy to end up exhausted and on the verge of burnout mm. without realizing kind of how you got there. And that's certainly been, that's been a a learning process for me since I was in college, but here it was kind of just amplified. Yeah. Um, and so that's been a huge, yeah, learning curve for me that I am still working on. I think I'm doing pretty well and have, have figured out, um, kind of my own needs and, and how to do that. And also I think, the most important thing for me and probably a lot of pastors and people in ministry to remember is that like, it's going to be okay. Like it's going to be okay. If we stop for a minute, the world doesn't stop just because we take a break. And I think it's hard sometimes to remember that at least for me, maybe I'm just, maybe I've just got a big head, but it's just like, there are times when I have to sit and remind myself, like the world keeps turning the kids will be okay. Like there's not an emergency outside my door right now. It's okay that I'm sitting here reading instead of constantly engaging with other people. Because if I'm constantly engaging with other people, then I'm not engaging in my own, like my own self care in terms of like physical needs and spiritual needs and emotional needs. Yeah. I think, I think that's probably going to be something that I continue to learn throughout ministry in general, but because of, I don't, cactus can be kind of a pressure cooker sometimes. And so I think that kind of um, is an amplified need here. And it's hard. And I've, I've not lived in a lot of small towns before. And so I don't know, I would be interested to hear if this is something that um, many pastors in small towns face, just everybody knowing where you live, everybody knowing that you're a minister and that you're the person to go to if they need help. Um, I would be really interested if listeners have any thoughts about what that looks like for them um, in terms of setting those boundaries and, and being healthy. Yeah, maybe somebody will get back to you on that. I definitely think that boundaries are a really difficult thing to learn in ministry. It's easy to feel like because somebody wants something from you that you have to respond. Exactly. Exactly. Um, what advice would you have for someone who says, I want to create space, I want to build bridges, I want to connect people with with different cultural backgrounds, like where do they start? What do they do? <laughs> um, 
you know, I think it's probably a lot of it is contextual. So a lot of it kind of depends on where you're at. But I think one of the lessons that um, I learned at Trevecca that I think has been most valuable and anybody who knows me well knows that this is like kind of my mantra. We are all learning and we are all learners. And so if, if you're feeling called to, to work in cross-cultural ministry, if you're feeling called to build bridges, the first step I think is to find, first of all, find places to serve. Um, Most of our communities at this point are, are changing and becoming more diverse. And so um, many communities have English classes or after school programs or, you know, what have you to, to volunteer at. Um, and I think that's, that's a, a good place to start. But even in the midst of that, recognizing that we all come into situations with assumptions, mm-hmm. but the best way to kind of combat that is to just constantly remind yourself to maybe be quiet and listen and, um, ask a lot of questions and get to know people and their stories and, um, you know, do research about the cultures that you're working with and just do your best to, um, enter your ministry in such a way that you're not assuming that you're the expert on what needs to happen there. Um, Mm -hmm. the figuring out like the details of it will come with time, but I find that it goes more smoothly and, is more meaningful when you are doing that alongside the people that you're that you're wanting to minister with. And so go into situations as a learner, ask mm-hmm. a lot of questions and build relationships first and foremost, get to know people. Um, I think it's really easy for us when we get passionate or excited about something to just want to jump in with both feet and get the ball rolling on whatever ideas that we have. But just be open to the idea that God has... <laughs> Somebody somebody said this to me in college when I was serving in a place. God has been at work in this place long before you got here, and God will continue to be at work long after you're gone. Mm. Perhaps the most faithful prayer that we can pray is, God, how can you use me for this moment in time? Mm-hmm. And be open to what that might look like and the fact that it may not look the way that you thought that it would, but sometimes those moments of flexibility, those times when plans change end up being the most beautiful and life-giving and um, I guess just like community building experiences that we can have. Yeah, that's great. Uh, You were nominated a long time ago for the show and you and I have been trying to get together for a long time. So I know that you're about to be in transition. Do you kind of want to tell us what's next for you, what you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. So I will be moving up to Medford, Oregon. Um, I will be an associate pastor at Medford First Church of the Nazarene, working um, with the discipleship ministry and also working in their um, immigration center. They they have an immigration center there that offers legal services to people who are um, looking to work on whether it's visas or green cards or citizenship. And so I'm going to be on staff um, helping with the discipleship part in the church and also working um, to kind of expand and be an extra set of hands at the immigration center as well. Ah, that's so cool. I'm so excited for you. So the last question I ask everybody is what inspires you to stay in the churches in Nazarene? What is it that's keeping you here? Well, so there's like the obvious, like, you know, theologically, I think we're pretty solid. Um, I think there's a lot of room for grace in our theology, and I appreciate that. Um, But what I think has made me feel very loyal to the Church of the Nazarene is the way that I've seen that play out. Um, You know, my home church was just such a place of love and encouragement and support and continues to be that for me. Um, I was just ordained in April and my pastor from that church flew to Texas so that um, he and his daughter, who's my best friend, could be there for my ordination service and pray over me. And um, kind of every step of the way, I have built relationships with people who just continue to love and support and encourage me and others um, in some pretty big ways. And so I think some of it is is that investment that I felt and that love that I felt from the church. But some of it is... Um, 
the the openness that I am here in Cactus and I'm doing ministry in a very like non-traditional way um, in terms of pastoral ministry, at least. And there's space for me here. And I feel like um, I was just talking. We had a couple stop by here this week, actually, and they are not Nazarene. And they're asking me tons of questions about what we do here. And they said, is this what you Nazarenes do? And I said, what do you mean? And she's like, like, are there more places like this within the Church of the Nazarene? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And so I got to talk about kind of our mission and our heart. And so I've just, I've always felt very encouraged and supported in the Church of the Nazarene in terms of me as an individual with all my broken messiness, but also the things that I feel called to do. I'm not the only person who feels called to do these things. Um, I think I got the language that I use and the imagination that I have from the people who have gone before me and the people who are doing it alongside me. And so I think I just feel a great sense of um, hope for the future as we live, you know, in a country that is just con- like constantly growing and changing and diversifying. Um, I have a lot of a lot of hope that that the Church of the Nazarene will continue to be right there, um, working alongside these neighborhoods and these communities to to reach people and um, to build relationships with them. And so, um, I guess it's twofold. It's a little bit of my personal journey, but also the bigger picture. Um, General Assembly this year was very encouraging. I felt like we did a lot of things right. Yeah. And so I'm just very hopeful about who we've been and who we're going to be um, for the kingdom of God. That's great. Um, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, reach out to you, um, get in, get a hold of you, how, how could they reach you? How could they find you? Yeah, so I'm on social media, Facebook, Instagram, not so much Twitter, so maybe don't check there. <laughs> um, or you can email me. Uh, my email address is dmfranchetti, so d-m-f-r-a-n-c-h-e-t-t-i at gmail.com. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me. It's been great.